0: Welcome. You're listening to the McKinsey on Healthcare podcast. If you're looking for insights into issues that matter most in healthcare right now, you're in the right place. Explore wide-ranging conversations with leaders, problem solvers, innovators, and professionals who are at the heart of healthcare today. I'm Anish Krishna, a partner at McKinsey & Company. Let's get started. In today's episode of McKinsey on Healthcare, I speak with Daniel E. Greenleaf, President and Chief Executive Officer at MotiveCare. MotiveCare is a technology-enabled healthcare services company that provides a suite of integrated supportive care solutions for public and private payers and their patients, things that include non-emergency medical transportation, personal care services, remote monitoring, and home-delivered meals, to name just a few. Dan and I will be talking about health equity today, covering everything ranging from how to address zip code patient inequalities to recent motive care changes, such as the appointment of a chief diversity officer and the motive care academy. We've got some new and interesting ideas about health equity lined up. So let's start the conversation. Welcome, Dan. Thank you, Anish. You've previously spoken quite openly about growing up in a neighborhood that was similar to those you serve via Motive Care, What does health equity mean to you? What motivates you personally in creating meaningful impact in this space? For me, health equity means that
1: all of us have equal access to health care, regardless of one's circumstances, their zip code, their economic situation, or level of support they might have around them. My parents were extremely service-oriented. My mother taught disabled children. My father was a military officer. This idea of instilling in all of us a service mindset is really important for me in terms of you know the career paths I've taken and what I've done in my career. I would also say that my high school was English as a second language. I would say predominantly, at least 50% of the population was English as a second language. Twenty percent was African American. I certainly saw, from my own standpoint, the barriers that individuals had to overcome to get to school, to support their families. To, the expectations are very different, and the strains I think were, in many respects, more significant. And so I think you know that also has you know, if you will, shaped my worldview on this. That you know we're not all given the same opportunity, and. We're not always in the best place to receive care. And so if that's the case, what do we need to do collectively to address those issues? And that's really what this company in many respects is about. We serve 30 million members, 9% of the U.S. population and growing. And clearly there is a
0: significant unmet need here, particularly in the supportive care space. Well, thanks, Dan. It's quite clear that some of the experiences you've had growing up has resulted in how you're thinking about health equity and making a big difference there. That's very inspiring. As you mentioned, one of the key barriers in health equity, at least is around the confusion that patients have on how to access healthcare. And this is particularly pronounced in some of the zip codes. As you mentioned, zip codes could be the primary determinant of how you access healthcare. How in your mind can this be best addressed?
1: We need to meet the member where they are. And in some instances, where they live, in some instances, it's addressing the fact that they don't have Wi-Fi plans, that they have limited data access or the plans are somewhat limited. They might have a flip phone. And so we have to be looking at ways to say, okay, if that's our member population, what kind of solutions do we need to bring to bear? We believe tech is going to matter and we're spending one hundred million dollars on tech this year alone but the high touch piece isn't going away. I think one of the mistakes, particularly with our patient population, is that we assume that they have the same opportunity to access things we do. For example, we have unlimited data plans, that we have we have iPhones or Android phones, and that we have Wi-Fi in the home. And I think there's a, there's a lot of misperceptions about the patient population we serve. I also believe that as a company, We need to create a surround sound approach that includes what the caregivers do, what case managers do, what our remote monitoring personnel are in the way they're interacting with our members, what our transportation providers are noticing. Clearly, social media matters in this day and age. Data If we're meeting a member where they are, data helps them as well in terms of decisions they ultimately make. And then community leaders, as well as traditional marketing and non-traditional marketing. So I would say it's got to be a surround sound. There isn't a silver bullet out there. The beauty of what we do is because we have caregivers, because we do remote monitoring, because we have transportation providers, because we do meal delivery, We have a very unique perspective into that member. And because we have relationships with case managers, I think we have a significant
0: opportunity to influence the care. One of the things you mentioned was that you have a very unique perspective into these members, given the breadth of services you provide. You also have invested a significant amount in technology. Could you elaborate a little bit more on, given this? What opportunities does the use of data and analytics bring? One of the
1: opportunities we have is the length of service that we provide for our members. So, for example, in personal care, the length of services is oftentimes four years or more. If we think about PERS, which is personal emergency response, I've fallen and I can't get up. The length of service tends to be three and a half years. For vitals monitoring, it's over two years. So that's one of the opportunities that we have this ongoing relationship, very personal relationship with these patients. So with that being said, the issues we run into is there's not one platform. We have disparate and incomplete data sets that oftentimes the tech stack that we're going to market with is built off of legacy systems that were built 20 years ago, but don't oftentimes address the needs of the organization and the member at this point in time. We haven't unleashed the level of sophistication that we could around data. Where there's more opportunity is around one platform, that we have a single source of truth for the member, that the data collection in the home could be pretty extraordinary. I think when you spend 20, 40 hours with a, a patient, there's a lot of things that you could pro- be providing the healthcare system that I think would be or could be extremely valuable. The other things we're doing is we've got a large value-based care initiative that is underway with a large payer in Illinois where we're combining all four of our services. And we think there's some really interesting things that can come up from that. VRI, you know, our remote monitoring business, is working with select populations. So they might be working with 100 diabetic patients in Cincinnati, and there's a level of remote monitoring that we're providing the healthcare plan. Also, I think addressing the member in a holistic way. And I think historically we've said transportation is going to be separate from meal delivery, going to be separate from personal care going to be separate from vitals monitoring. It's going to be separate from medication management. And our belief is that one way to address this is obviously addressing it in a holistic way. I will also say that we're very fortunate because we've got call centers and care centers all all across the country, and they're leaning in. Partnering we're doing with states and payers play a role in this. The work we're doing in terms of outcomes and engagement is playing a role in this, how we're interacting with patients, quality of life work, as well as our TP partnerships, because many of our transportation partners or our our drivers live in these communities and they can be highly influential. But it all goes back to making sure that we're creating a holistic solution, that all of us are playing a role in data collection and analytics, and that we're moving toward you know, a single source of truth and engaging data
0: scientists where we can. So in relation to health equity, could you provide some examples of how Care is walking the talk with ground-level actions?
1: Some of the things we've done during, particularly around COVID, which I would say COVID-19 has opened our eyes to things like vaccine deserts, the unfair distribution of vaccines, Broadband deserts, pharmacy deserts, food deserts. And I also want to point out that we still believe, as I've said before, healthcare still has a very high-touch component to it. So what have we done? During COVID, we delivered over 2 million meals uh, pro bono. We provided over 85,000 rides to caregiver. We brought over 300,000 patients to their vaccine appointments. We provided rides to over 40,000 COVID positive members. We provided over 50 million rides a year to members who needed diabetic care, needed dialysis care, needed mental health care, needed things like substance abuse treatment. And then we provided over 30 million hours of care from a personal care standpoint. So we stayed in our community. We continued to do the work that needed to be done. And our corporate office didn't shut down because it was important that we set the right example for our teammates and that you know, corporate wasn't going to go hide out at home when we're asking people to go into homes or go into their contact centers. We believe in this. We spent $1.5 billion in acquisitions to build out this organization during COVID. And we believe in the bets we've placed, but we also saw that the way supportive care was being delivered in this country is not working. And we felt like by putting this platform together with these right attributes, our
0: members would ultimately benefit. So far, we've talked about a lot of the actions that MotiveCare is taking to make a meaningful dent in closing the health equity gap. To be able to do something like that with a really large organization like the one you lead, it's got to be a big part of your culture. Could you talk a little bit about how this is reflected in the motive care culture and how you motivate and energize the thousands of employees you have to wake up every morning and uh, go out with a mission towards addressing the health equity challenge
1: i would say first of all you want to galvanize an organization if you will what could be more important than addressing the health equity issues in our country This is a significant opportunity as a country, as a healthcare system, as a company. I think there's a real self-selection that goes on here in terms of the people that decide to work for us. And a lot of that is around the mission of the organization, which we spend a lot of time talking about. Equal opportunity of care and dignity, regardless of your zip code. Many of the people here in this organization have worked together before. And that should tell you something. Part of it is it tells you that we like working together, but I also would say there's a lot of us who want to make this kind of difference. And I will say is there's real compassion in this organization. I think about in Maine, in some instances, there are members who don't have physical addresses. They may have coordinates as to where they live. This is the kind of commitment we make as an organization. In terms of getting care to people who otherwise wouldn't. We also spent a lot of time last year redesigning our our purpose, vision, and values. We know that culture is never static. It's, from my perspective, either going up or going down.
0: And we have to continue to make that investment to a niche. Dan, it's very inspiring the kind of organization you're building and cultural glue that is bringing this organization together. As you think about continuing to address the health equity gap, what are some of the biggest challenges you as an organization are facing and how are you thinking about addressing those? Well, I would say the addressing
1: part's a work in progress, but I think some of these are going to be self-evident. Data is a big one, right? As I said, there's incomplete data sets, data that's never been evaluated. There's never been regression analysis models done. No, there aren't predictive models We also know that we haven't necessarily empowered, for example, caregivers to the level that I think we do. We also know there's been a lot of disparate parts. You know, We've put this company together. We're still proving out the concept of creating a one-stop shop for supportive care. I think part of it is the patient's not knowing what's available to them. It's remarkable for me to look at the data on food delivery how many patients don't take advantage of that even though they're eligible? Or remote monitoring, right? Or the fact that we estimate that the demand for caregivers is 50% higher than we can supply. And we also know that the companies that have been in this space haven't necessarily made themselves easy to do business with. So for example, this is why we're spending... $100 million in tech this year because we want to make this, our solution, easy to work with. Our labor is an issue because if the demand even pre-COVID was 50% higher than the supply, we have a big gap in regard to that. Nobody has really put the right combination of supportive care products
0: together. We're the only one. So I I would share with you that's still an evolving process. How do you see relationships and expectations with patients changing over the next few years?
1: I do think it will be more intimate. It's going to be more consumer friendly. It's going to be more data driven. It's going to be more holistic. People are going to have an easier access to services. And I think there's going to be a lot of clarity around options for themselves, which they don't have right now. And I also think that part of what we believe is that these caregivers that are going into the home can really act as air traffic controllers for the member and they can do a lot more. They can be performing at the upper end of their license. I think it's just an enormous opportunity. Somebody who can help coordinate food, who can coordinate remote monitoring, who can coordinate transportation, coordinate doctor visits, it can ho- coordinate meal delivery and also coordinate data collection quality of life survey. So I do think there's a lot more that the members of our community could be doing to even extend the value of what we do.
0: Now, Dan, MotiveCare also recently appointed a chief diversity officer. If another organization asked for your advice on whether to create such a role or not, what advice would you give them?
1: Well, I would say just do it and empower them. And I would say, give them the right breadth of ownership and the right level of support. And also understand and commit to learning as you go along. This is kind of a new frontier for most of us. And except we're not going to have it all figured out. For example, Nate Vaughn, the person that we promoted into the role, our first chief diversity officer, I said, Nate, you're going to have to help me, right? You're going to have to be my guy. We're going to learn together. I would also say that you have to communicate, communicate, can't communicate enough. And you have to look at all avenues to do that communication.
0: Motive care has already gone all in on health equity from the conversation we've just had. What advice would you give for other organizations? What would it take for others to go all in on health equity? I think, number
1: one, commit to ensuring that zip code will not be the single most important predictor of health outcomes. Commit to that. It's outrageous that we have adjacent zip codes where the average... Life expectancy is 15 years less, and there's nothing else other than the zip code that determining that outcome. I would also say for us, it's creating a -a one-of-a-kind company that provides a one-stop shop for our members, that we're committed to the zip code, but we're also building the company around it. I would also say that you need to ensure you're forming and enhancing community partnerships. And we do it through a Motive Care Foundation with but we're also doing it with things like Motive Care Academy. We're going into these communities and we're helping them build their businesses. So it's not just about elevating the health of these communities, but it's also ensuring that we're making the right economic investments in these communities because we want to uplift them too and, and help these minority transportation partners grow and expand. I would also say that you got to make the investments, and we're making that in technology, as I mentioned before. There is a lot of work to do, but we have a very unique opportunity right now to really make a dent in this. And we think that the healthcare environment is right, where Motive Care is in terms of its organization is right, the team members we have right, the ability to make investments is right. So I would say that's what it means to us to go all in on this. And this is
0: a long journey, but we just believe there's never been a better time to start. I truly hope that organizations take your advice and commit, as you said, commit to making a difference in this space. Now, if you were to look a little bit into the future, do you believe that health equity across the nation is possible? You're one of the leading organizations that is moving in that direction, but do you really believe? That we will few years down the line be at a point in time where health equity is truly achieved, and if so, what would it take to get there?
1: I have to believe I wouldn't do this unless I believed. Is it going to be 100% equitable? I don't necessarily believe that will happen ever, niche for a variety of reasons. But could we get you know closer to 50%? Could we move it up to 75%? I absolutely unequivocally believe that. And it's why we do what we're doing. So what is it going to take? It's making sure that our federal government, our states, our payers, companies, communities, families, patients all understand that they play a role in this and that we're working together on this because it's that important. We have to continue to find data that continues to support a holistic patient approach to underserved patient populations. I think ultimately just commitment. I know it sounds broad, but you have to have a committed organization. You have to have a committed community. You have to have a committed federal government. You have to have a committed payer group. You have to have a committed state group. And you also have to have patients that want something different as well. And part of that is what we're doing is educating them on it can be different, yes, meals are available to you. Yes, remote monitoring is available to you. Yes, I don't want to lose sight of like this notion of patient empowerment that it can't be this paternalistic view of like you know, we're going to come in and, and save the world. We also need to empower the patient and their families, frankly.
0: It is so true that communities, governments, organizations, individuals, families all need to come together and work. Together to solve this. Now, if you were able to make a few changes, let's just say three changes in the world right now related to health equity, what would those be, which would make the most progress or which would you know overcome the biggest challenges that you're facing?
1: The first would be that we acknowledge the zip code issue. What we've done from a a clinical perspective, from a supportive care perspective, is not working. And You know, if it was, then we wouldn't see these massive disparities in health outcomes that are completely related to where a person lives. Number two is that we get access and that all of us deserve dignity of care. And and that is, from my standpoint, that's meeting the member where they are. But I think the third thing is we're all in this together. This is a good thing to do. And it's the right thing to do and that we're not all given the same opportunity
0: and where there's unequal distribution, we need to solve for this. As we round out this conversation, I have a couple of closing questions for you. One would be, what is the one piece of advice you would give for organizations focusing on health equity? I mean, get started, commit, and what could be
1: more important?
0: Wonderful. And finally, Dan, you've done several rounds of being CEOs of multiple companies. On this particular one, what is the lasting impact that you'd like to leave behind as the CEO at Motive Care? What does that look like for you personally?
1: I want to be in a place where we've made a material impact on the well being of underserved patient population. And that this zip code issue is not the single most important predictor of a health outcome. Thank you. Thank you, Anish.
0: Thank you for joining us for today's McKinsey on Healthcare podcast with Daniel E. Greenleaf, President and Chief Executive Officer at Motive Care. Dan has given us some excellent insights into how to put health equity at the heart of your organization. He's talked about his own personal journey in making impacts on health equity throughout his career, as well as offering advice to any organization trying to understand this issue. I found a few ideas particularly interesting, such as meeting patients where they are, zip code being the primary determinant of health outcomes, as well as some of the high-touch needs of the population's. That organizations like Motive Care are serving, where technology and digital penetration is still not where it needs to be. Dan also had some very interesting suggestions, particularly the notion of committing and going all in into health equity if we want to make a difference. I also like what he said in his closing, which is that communities, governments, organizations, individuals and their families need to come together if we were to make a meaningful difference in health equity. I'm quite inspired by what he is doing at his own organization and also fairly optimistic about the outlook on addressing this challenge in a meaningful way. I'm Anish Krishna, and this has been a McKinsey on Healthcare podcast. Thank you for listening.